What is up, woman beings? It is a wonderful day today. The sky is high. <laughs> Our sights. <laughs> I think Kelly's high. <laughs> I might be um, feeling very tired today. So, but we're gonna like talk about one of my favorite things, which is film. And as you all know, the Oscars are coming up, and one of the films that is nominated for Best Picture, among other things, is Promising Young Woman. And this film is directed by a female. It's got an amazing message, all by a little twisted. And uh, yeah, we want to talk about it with you. So let's watch it and dive in. (laughs) Welcome to the Woman Being Podcast community. Where we explore thoughts and opinions. And have the freedom to change our minds. Without expectation or judgment, we will hold a safe space and support each other. As we navigate together in the form of feminine. Okay, so Promising Young Woman, directed by Emerald Fennell, or Fennell, do we know? I think it's Fennell that Fennell. I've heard. Okay, she is known for her role as Camilla Come Parker Bowles in The Crown. So if you watch The Crown, you're probably a fan because she's great. Mm-hmm. So she wrote and directed this film. It's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And it's the, oh, by the way, spoilers. If you have not watched this film either be prepared to have it spoiled or go watch it first and then listen. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It is about a woman whose um, friend was raped, and it's a revenge film where she goes and preys on mean men. What what would be the word? Like predators. Yeah. Yeah, she she preys on predators um, by pretending that she's drunk. And incapacitated. And this is the friend of the girl who was raped, yes. not the girl who was yeah. raped. Yeah, and um, pretending that she's incapacitated, bringing or not bringing these boys home, but these boys nicely come up and offer her a ride home, and then end up taking her to her apartment and try to have sex to with their her. apartment, to their apartment, and try yeah. to have sex with her without consent. And yeah. mm-hmm. then she, you know, wakes up and goes. What are Excuse you doing? me, and teaches them a little lesson. So, it's kind of um, filmed as if it's like a thriller, and there are some cases where you're not sure if she's killing these people or not. Mm-hmm. Spoilers: she's not. So that's just we can get that out of the way right now. Um, <laughs> There's lots of like cool imagery and like allusion to her killing them, though. Yeah, yes. yeah, and, and you don't really know for a while. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of like, mm, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know what just happened. They throw some hints at you. They throw, they divert you in different directions. So it's fun. Yeah. Um, so throughout the film, she is first of all a very depressed, like lifeless person. She has devoted her entire life to mm-hmm. terrorizing the patriarchy and bringing it down one by one. Um, as a result, she doesn't have good friendships or relationships. She's dropped out of medical school. She, you know, doesn't pursue anything for herself. She just goes to work at this little coffee shop and then goes and pretends to be drunk and teach men lessons so yeah um she's kind of destroying herself in the process of like seeking justice Mm -hmm. and she meets a young man from med school who is played by Bo burnham and he comes and kind of tries to ask her out she says no um and then he makes a rude comment i forget what it is he's he says Oh, you were top of our class at med school. Like, why are you here? Yeah, yeah. Because he meets her at her work yeah. at a coffee shop. Yeah. 
And so, yeah. And then he's like, oh, no. He's like, that was really rude of me. I'm so sorry. If you want to spit in my coffee, you can. But Bo Burnham's (laughs) character is kind of like the antithesis of all of these, like, drunk praying men mm-hmm. in that he's very respectful he's very kind mm-hmm. he respects her boundaries he you know and there's one point where they do go on a date and they're kind of walking he's like oh i didn't realize we're at my apartment do you want to go up and she obviously because of her traumatic background is yeah. like no 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 no, no. but yeah. he immediately is like kind of like oh i'm so sorry like I didn't didn't mean anything by it or whatever. And so they kind of like figure that out. So he's kind of this like really unassuming, very non-threatening character. Mm -hmm. He does, though, have a past because they both went to medical school together. He does have a past with these other medical students who were the perpetrators of raping her friend who was also in medical school at the time. So. And we don't really find out what happens to her friend, but it's in, it's insinuated she's no longer with us. Well, we know she's no, she's dead. Oh, for yeah. sure. By the end, we find out she, she is she definitely kills dead. Or we don't know for sure if she, yeah, if she died by suicide. Oh. I don't think it it ever never explicitly says. I think it talks it's about pretty her, clear that she's. It is heavily implied, but they don't say it. Yeah, so she's got all this like secondary trauma. She's got PTSD. She's mm-hmm. like very depressed and yeah, you know, struggling. Um, yeah. And so this sort of, like, love story commences, and as a result, she starts hearing more about, like, this other world that she's kind of shut herself out of and what these med students are up to. And she starts to take a more concerted effort towards getting revenge on the people who were at fault or, you know, culpable for her friend's, like, demise. So um, so that's kind of interesting, and it sort of leads you up to a final climax. Mm Mm-hmm where um, she confronts the rapist at his bachelor party. Mm-hmm. And he, she, she goes in pretending to be a stripper mm-hmm. to the soundtrack of Toxic. Well, by a slow violin. Yeah. It was amazing. Or cello. Yeah. And um, this is Britney Spears' song, Toxic, um, in case anyone didn't know. Kind of the culmination of this is she goes, like, your name has been all over my friend's life. And so now I'm going to put her name all over you. And so where before all of her sort of efforts to place revenge on people have been not good things, like very crazy things, but at least relatively harmless. But at this end, she like comes at him with a scalpel and she's going to like carve her friend's name into this guy's body. And he breaks one hand free and gets gains power over her and asphyxiates her with a pillow, smothers her with a pillow. And she dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of the main... Climax. Well, she dies, and then then the friend. Well, there's a whole like yeah, ten minutes after she yeah. dies. It's not the end, the... but that's kind of like the rough overview of the story. Which, yeah. and I'm sure we'll dive into more pieces of it yeah. as okay. we as we go. So that's the story. It's really incredible. And my question for you, Emma and Kelly, mm-hmm. is just first of all, what were your initial reactions to the film? What did you love, and what did you not love? Mm. I am a huge horror movie fan. I love horror movies. Um, Not as much, like, gory, like, Saw. Not my thing. But, um, you know, this idea of, like, it was kind of promoted as, like, a female serial killer in the trailer that kind of is the assumptions you make. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was very excited going into it. Like, finally, a movie about a female serial killer. Um, It is not that. She's playing mind games the whole time. So I found myself halfway through a little disappointed. (laughs) But then I kind of rallied at the end. um, And there were really good 
conversations had based on the message between me and my husband about it. Um, I really liked a lot of it. I liked a lot of the technicality of the film, the technicality of the writing. I thought it was very masterfully done. I like that she is a very... I mean, we kind of talked about it the other day, but she's like a very flawed character. Um, She's not the well-put-together woman we're used to seeing, and I really appreciated that. Um, Some of the scenes felt a little disjointed. Like, there wasn't a clear vibe, if you will, throughout, like, that was consistent throughout the film, but there was lots I really liked about it, and overall, I think it was a really, really good movie with a really good message, especially about how, um, as society, for some reason, we try to protect men, and we, um, think men, like, didn't have another option, or it wasn't their fault, which we see a lot at the end, the way, um, his... I forget his name. The guy that kills Cassie. Al. Al. And then um, his friend is coming to comfort him. Joe. Played by Max Greenfield. Schmidt from New Girl. It was really, he was funny. (laughs) Um, But like seeing their dialogue and how they comforted and consoled each other was like, oh, interesting. That was, that was very intriguing to me. So. Yeah. So pretty much what happens is that this. Um, this Al, he kills Cassie and then is just stuck with her in bed all night, like, Cause terrified. Because he's, he's still friends, handcuffed yeah. with one hand yeah. to the bed. And um, his friends are drugged. And his friends are drugged. So his friend comes out, like, probably late morning. He, mm-hmm. He's like, oh, it was a great night. And, you know, he's like, she's dead. Like, she's so dead. Mm-hmm. And he's like, nah, you're kidding. I don't believe you. And then eventually figures out that, oh, crap, like, she is dead. And his immediate response is like, it's not your fault. You didn't do this. Yeah. And he has no idea what happened. We're going to, we're going to figure it out. Yeah. We're going to take care of this. You're going to be fine. We're going to take care of this. You're a good guy. Yeah. And you see this like band of like brothers kind of happen of like, I'm going to take care of this for you. You're not going down for this. But the thing is you never see like, oh, what happened? Like he never gives Al the chance to like tell his story. He just Mm -hmm. immediately writes the narrative for him Mm -hmm. that it wasn't his fault. Everything's going to be fine. And obviously, this crazy stripper is the reason that she's dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was very sweet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, so true. Yeah. 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 I think for me, I um, I, I went into it sort of recognizing, based off of watching the trailer, I was like, oh, this seems like she could be killing these people or she might not be. And I was very, like, I can't wait to, like figure it out you know um and so it was really interesting to me um and it was it i I would i would bill this as like a a dark comedy thriller yeah basically is is what it is and um so it's not like a full-blown horror movie or anything um at all but it's really uh a a very original take, I think, on mm-hmm. um, t- this discussion of sexual assault and violence against women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting because uh, I, I was really enthralled the whole time. There wasn't a moment where I was really bored, um, except for probably the last 10 minutes after Cassie dies. You're kind of like, okay, well, our main character is gone. <laughs> and I think that was really brave of them mm-hmm. um, as, like, I think that was brave of... Um, Emerald Fennel to like 
choose to get rid of the person who's been driving this plot the entire time mm-hmm. and to have like a full 10 minutes of the movie just be without her. Uh, I think that was really uh, an interesting choice of hers and that was a brave choice. And I think that you see a big distinction in the way that uh, the sort of vibe of the movie looks. Mm-hmm. I kind of disagree with you a little bit, Kellyanne, that I felt like the vibe was vibe i hate that word what but is the, the, vibe? the continuity i felt the... like the the imagery and sort of the the color palette the the way that it was filmed was pretty consistent to me throughout and i mm. felt like it it made sense together and um i think that there were specific choices of like the way that scenes where she's interacting with these men who are predators looked versus ways that things looked when she was with ryan which was bo burnham's character and like how that was very like candy pop like love story rom commy and then also the way that the film looked and those last 10 minutes after she's gone there's a lot like the color is sort of gone and there's a lot of sort of desaturated and it's it's a much different feeling uh for that last 10 minutes of the film but uh that was probably the least uh like interesting part of it to me was those that last bit but um it was fascinating to me because uh, as I was watching it, I watched it with my mom and her fiance and we were watching it and maybe like 30 minutes into the film, my mom, we took a break because my mom needed to like smoke and we like needed to go to the bathroom and stuff. And uh, my mom's fiance is like freaking out watching this movie. Mm. He is feeling so like um, on edge uh, and I feel like the like thriller aspect of it is affecting him way more than it was affecting me. And my mom were like, "LOL, why are you laughing? Like this is great." <laughs> and, um, or what? Not why are you laughing? Why are you freaking out? And we're laughing at him. And I feel like this is something that might feel more sort of like a nerve wracking film to a man mm-hmm. uh, because it is something that. Uh, is sort of like a man's biggest fear. I think they actually say that in the movie, that this is a man's worst fear. And then Mm -hmm. I think uh, Cassie, uh, Carrie... Mulligan. Mulligan. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I couldn't think of her last name. Carrie Mulligan's character, uh, she says, well, what do you think a woman's worst fear is? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's heavily implied. Obviously, she's referencing to sexual assault and rape and being violated in that way by a man. Um, And so that was really interesting to me, too, to be watching it with a man and see his reaction versus myself and my mother's reactions Mm. um, as this is something that women have talked about so much, I feel like, for centuries. Uh, And it's something that women are so aware of, whereas men are kind of able to sort of shove it to the back of their minds and not really think about it and Mm -hmm. um, kind of just carry on Mm because they don't have to live with a constant threat Mm -hmm. and this film sort of shows men under threat well Mm -hmm. and it's very illuminating to the perception that women have towards like sexual assault and how men or a lot of women Mm -hmm. and i think most men the average dude is not necessarily aware of that perception and it's a scary perception that someone could see you as like threatening Mm -hmm. and yeah so a monster really yeah really yeah and I'm sure a lot of men have will have issues with watching it, um, but with an open mind. It's interesting it's very... though because I don't think that it was a a man hater film. No, no, it did not, not feel like uh, Emerald Fennel was trying to be like, well, all men just suck and they're the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that every single character 
is flawed in the movie. Yes. Men and women, except maybe like Laverne Cox, (laughs) um, which is uh, Cassie's boss in the film. Uh, And friend. Yes, and friend. But pretty much every character you see, her old friend Madison is truly very flawed. Cassie's very flawed. Ryan is flawed. Al Monroe is flawed. Joe, everybody. And um, I think that it was more looking at the the gray of it of okay like the these people are like nice guys quote-unquote they're quote-unquote good people i don't think they really show a man who's like truly like evil through and through um i think that it's looking at the tension of like how insidious this mindset of uh sexual assault being okay mm-hmm. is and then also how uh normalized it's become and i think that over the past you know five to ten years our society's been trying to break that down um but it's still it's still an issue totally yeah. i definitely felt like the film was a big like f you to the male gaze mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways it had a lot of nods to things that it was uh is making fun of. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys have seen our episode on feminist film theory, great. If you haven't, give it a watch because that will illuminate some of or these listen. things that I'm talking about. Or a listen, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my favorite thing about the film and the thing that hooked me at the very beginning was this like opening scene where it just has this like roaming camera close like close up on men's crotches. <laughs> As they're dancing in a club. like In khakis. Yeah, in khakis. Like, they're just regular old, like, dad, 30 to 40-year-old men, like, dad bod type of situation. And um, uh, it just, like, this camera is just, like, in there. And if it was women, we would see it a lot differently. We'd mm-hmm. see it as something sexy, something to be desired. But because it's men, there's sort of this, like, shock factor. And it's really funny. Mm-hmm. Um but it's kind of like, yeah, this is what your camera does to us all the time. Yeah. yeah. Which I just found, like, really funny. Because um, it was kind of like, oh, this is what this is about. Like, there's no secrets here. Like, we're we're going against the patriarchy. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was really brilliant. There's tons of, like, great little twists where you think something's going to go one way and it goes yeah. another. Where you think someone's going to be seriously harmed and then they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's believable, too, because... Cassie, Carrie Mulligan's character, is so, like, off her rocker or so, like, unpredictable. You Mm -hmm. really don't necessarily know what she's going to do and – or what's going to happen to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, like, for example, the first morning after she takes a guy home – or a guy takes her home, I should say – he's kind of, like – laying on top of her in his bedroom and she's like what are you doing she's acting drunk he's like oh don't worry about it don't worry about it and he's like starting to go down on her and like take off her clothes and she's like what are you doing and then she sort of like opens her eyes and looks up at the camera and she says his name I forget what it is and she's like sober suddenly yeah and she goes what are you doing and then he like freaks out suddenly Mm -hmm. because she's sober and so we don't necessarily know what happens she kind of says something menacing, and mm. then it cuts to her the next morning doing the quote-unquote walk of shame. And she's got, like, what looks like blood running down her leg. And then the camera slowly pans up, and there's, like, 
we realize it's ketchup mm-hmm. from a hot dog. from a hot dog. <laughs> I've actually heard some people think it's a hamburger, and I've heard some people think it's a jelly donut. So it's some sort of. I thought it was too, but in interviews they said it was a hot dog. Okay, okay. <laughs> it is confirmed hot dog. Confirmed hot dog. So she's eating, which a hot is dog. also like a really funny thing because it's a very phallic thing that she's right. eating. Yes, as well. exactly. Yes. Yeah. So she's like, you think like, oh, she just. She just killed him, but then it pans up and she's eating a hot dog. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. walking on. But you're still like, she still might have killed him. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. it's you still know. possible. You don't yeah. know. And so things like that were very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then t- toward like throughout the film, you you discover like, oh, she's not actually murdering people. She's like teaching them a little lesson. And yeah, leaving. yeah. Um, what but, I like about that scene too yeah. is like she gets catcalled <gasps> from across the street, and she stops and she just stares at this these three construction workers that are, like, catcalling her, and she just, like, stares at them. Yeah. And then it makes them uncomfortable. They get scared. And then they're like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, it switches so quick, and then she just, like, walks off and keeps (laughs) eating her hot dog, and it's like, that's kind of the echo of the film. Mm -hmm. Like, guys are like, oh, you're desirable, and as soon as you, like, give them the, the attention or, like show any resolve or power then they're like nope not into that yeah yeah it's interesting like going from for example blackout drunk to sober and being like what are you doing men are like freaked out yeah like oh you're afraid of you're more afraid of a sober woman than a drunk woman Mm -hmm. yeah and it's like okay so why does that scare you you know Mm -hmm. like what why does me being sober all of a sudden scare you if if you're doing Mm -hmm. nothing wrong Mm -hmm. then it shouldn't yeah. matter, yeah. right? And most of these men are not willing to admit that they did do anything wrong. Like, right. They're yeah. like, well, I, you, I just give me your ride I'm home. I'm a nice yeah. guy. Yeah. I'm a good guy. Oh. I thought we had a I connection. I was worried about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that oh. one guy. Ugh. And I'm like, no, you tried to get her to do cocaine and then have sex with you. He <laughs> literally forced cocaine yeah, into, into her, her mouth. mouth. Yeah. Oh, uh, going back to the food, though. One thing I noticed about her is that she's constantly eating throughout the film. Like, she's got, like a twizzler in her mouth she's eating candy she's eat she's always eating sucker yeah and i don't know what that means necessarily but how i interpreted it was like hey yeah she's a woman and she eats (laughs) i also really like that they're they they're kind of more sexy foods yeah if you will like the hot dog the sucker the twizzler she's playing with it in her mouth and it's kind of like drawing it's also yeah it's kind of like sensual but also like I'm a human. Yeah. And I like that it's kind of both. Yeah. Because she's also like, I'm not interested in giving yeah. you what you want. Well, I just don't know if I see women eating very often in film. Yeah. And I think like part of it is just like, hey. Unless it's like a salad. Yeah. Hey, people, women eat. <laughs> <laughs> they have to eat to like feed their bodies. And this is, I don't know. That's how I took that. But I thought that was interesting. Like mm-hmm. an interesting little thing that they inserted there. Yeah. But yeah, anyways, loved a lot of things about it. Uh Things I didn't like, um, it felt like, from a director's standpoint, she occasionally switched from, like, one format to, like, a Wes Anderson-style shooting. Um, Which I'm curious. I need to research this more because maybe there's, like, intention behind that. Maybe not. But it felt more like, oh, this looks cool. Let's just do this. As opposed to, like, feeling like it had, like... A purpose, and so I found that a little jarring as I was watching through. It felt like, okay, is this a Wes Anderson film or not? Like, I agree. <laughs> there's sort of a mixture of like cinematography styles that and like framing decisions that I wasn't like clear on. The protagonist, Cassandra, 
aka Cassie, aka Carrie Mulligan, we're going to say Carrie Mulligan so many times that you're going to know, is a deeply flawed human, yet some somehow we find ourselves rooting for her in a way. Mm-hmm. She's the main character. Um, did you guys have a hard time reconciling that? Did you enjoy the anti-hero story? Like, what were your thoughts there? For me, personally, as like a film consumer, I'm a big fan of like the anti-hero. And I really like having someone who's so sort of complex and um, who is flawed. And so for me, I didn't really have a hard time. I didn't feel like conflicted about liking her, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, I, I liked her. And I think there were some times where I was like, I just wish that you would like, I want good for you, you know, like, like, I, I want this to be your relationship with Ryan to be good. And like, I want you guys to fall in love and live happily ever after. And like, I want uh, you to feel like you're like, you know, living your life to the fullest and to be able to get that like mental health, health, health help that you need. Uh, and so I, I think I was I was rooting for her. And but at the same time, I I think I was also like, empathizing with her a lot and feeling like like yes like this is not maybe the way that I would have handled this or like it's hard for me to even say that because I have not been in the situation she's in but like I um I don't really like fault her that much if that makes sense I think that uh I think that we see like revenge stories where men like run around and like kill a million people and like whatever and just like it's fine and so in this this more of a psychological revenge that she's taking on and almost a more realistic revenge uh i was more willing to like accept that if that Mm -hmm. makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah Mm. yeah i did not have any problem whatsoever rooting for her Actually, I mean, I was ready to root Well, you for wanted her to kill them all. I wanted yeah. her to kill him. Um, <laughs> but I actually appreciated that, that ended, even though at first I was a little disappointed, um, I actually ended up appreciating that because that feels like if she was killing them, that would feel like a male story just played by a female character versus like a female story being played by a female character. Yeah. Um, and in a way, it's smarter because nothing can be traced to her. Like... Like, everyone is psychologically affected by encounters with her, but, like, she is in the clear. Yeah. Like, when mm-hmm. it comes down to the law. It's not like something law. you can prosecute or well, something. Well, and also, yeah. like... Exactly. She is not then... I, I feel like she tries to never really, like, stoop as low as as the her catalyst, which was Al Monroe raping her friend Nina like she tries to never stoop quite as low as they do Mm -hmm. she does some really low things until the end she does really low things like making Madison think that she was raped and that part I was really like like, calling her back yeah yeah, that part I was very that was one moment where I was kind of like disappointed in Cassie when we didn't know for sure if she was raped or not I was like if she just had someone rape Madison that is just like a whole new yeah. level of low. Mm-hmm. Well, but and in- to illuminate that scene too, as she's getting day drunk and more and more day drunk, she starts asking her about the situation and like what she thought about it. And this is where Madison starts going, oh, well, so long ago. I mean, 
you know, you can't blame them for things that happened in, you know, school. And, like, she was, you know, had a reputation for getting drunk and things like that. And so Madison refuses to, like, acknowledge that what happened to Nina was wrong um, or undeserved, Mm. you could say. And she's sitting here, like, getting herself drunk (laughs) in the middle of a restaurant. And um, Cassie has, like, someone just take her up to a room and, like, put her to bed. Yeah, I mean, and the whole the whole point of why I even bring it up is just that I, that was a moment where I felt disappointed in her yeah. because I thought if she did get this... Totally. ...have this woman be raped, then mm-hmm. that's just, like, a whole other level of low. But you see that she um, doesn't ever stoop to their level. Um, even in what she wants to do to Al Monroe, like, she, she wants to harm him physically, but not... Uh, I wouldn't say to the extent of the trauma that Nina would have received by being... I don't know about that. I feel like mutilating someone is, like, very... On a very fine line with raping someone. It's very similar. You're violating their person. Yeah, but it's... I don't know. I guess to me, like, the the sexual aspect gives it a different dimension. Um, But it's definitely, like, the lowest thing that she she tries to do. It's not... Um, but yeah, I can't say that I found myself disappointed in her, actually. Um, well, I wasn't, once I, we knew that it wasn't a rape, I was, totally. I was like, I would have been totally. if she had Yeah, it's had still really rape. messed up, though. But it yeah. is I mean, yeah, it's yeah. messed up, but I'm yeah. like, that's kind of the name of this game a little bit. Yeah. I'm like, totally. oh, you're messing with the people that didn't come to your friend's defense or um, were perpetrators. And so, I don't know, I kind of liked it. A little bit. Yeah. A lot of it. I think part of me was kind of like, uh, when she got a boyfriend, actually. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, oh, this is what's going to, quote, unquote, make her better and heal her. But it and doesn't. I'm like, it doesn't. But, like, that, how we started moving that direction, how she started moving to be more, a more, well, like, I don't know, like, healthy person, if you will. How dare she? <laughs> because, because a man came into her life. Mm. And I was mm. like, no, you should get healthy on your own for you, mm. not because you now have a partner. Right. And so I found myself frustrated with that. And, I mean, that came full circle. But I was just like, part of me was just like, Bleh. Yeah. Um. So, but overall, I wasn't disappointed, actually, yeah. once. Until she threatened Al with a knife. And I'm like... Yeah, and part of me is like, no, he shouldn't have killed her. But I'm also like, she threatened him, like, with a knife. And that, at some level, he did need to defend himself. Yeah. Should she have been killed? No. But should she have brought a knife to threaten him with? Also no. Yeah, totally. But it's like, does that justify murder? And I think, like, totally. what it points out, especially the murder scene is interesting because they filmed it in the length of time it actually takes to smother someone. Yeah. Yeah, two minutes, 30 seconds. And it's long. It and is you're very sitting long. there and you're like, when is this going to end? And throughout that, you see, first of all, that this man has taken power over this woman and he had many chances to mm-hmm. make a different choice throughout mm-hmm. that process before she was actually dead. Mm-hmm. And he didn't make that choice. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because uh, this was filmed... Uh, I think early 2020 or late 2019. Uh, so it was before the incident with George Floyd happened, but mm-hmm. it's it's very similar mm-hmm. in somebody 
intentionally choosing for an extended period of time to deprive another human of oxygen. And that, I think, is something that a lot of people have resonated with in the film in it being very timely, both with talking about sexual assault and uh, just like the issues of, of women receiving respect, but then also the intentionality that that took to choose to smother somebody and so that was very that was like a very visceral moment for me and I'm sure for many people watching it in in light of everything that happened in 2020 and like on top of that the fact that like they chose to not have her killed with like a gun or in some sort of gory way or in something that would be more uh, quick or instant mm-hmm. or whatever. The, like a, there was no real fight. Right. There was no action. And it's not like it was a snap decision, you know? No. Like it was a he constant in- intentional yes. decision. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I found myself in that scene very fascinated with watching Al mm-hmm. because at first you see him like he is being threatened with a knife. He is fearing for his life clearly. Mm-hmm. He snaps and you see this like animalistic almost fight to live but then as that that scene slowly goes on you see that fade away and it turns almost into like annoyance like he is like inconvenienced and like it's like a job that he's like that he feels like he has to finish for some reason and that's what was very intriguing for me as well to watch his experience because and like how he chose to act that out Mm -hmm. and that was also very interesting yeah yeah for sure i mean you even see like as cassie's body becomes less and less uh well she she loses energy Mm -hmm. as she's being deprived of oxygen as she's struggled uh as she's struggled for so long and she starts instead of thrashing she she just sort of starts to just like move her hands and slowly move her legs and you see al just sort of swat her away Mm -hmm. and he's just like stop moving stop you just just stop moving Mm -hmm. and it's almost like this um this like mantra that he starts to take on of like stop just stop moving just stop moving and he just Mm -hmm. wants her to stop moving Mm -hmm. and but that her stopping moving I feel like that's almost him detaching himself from this thought that he's killing somebody he's like I just want her to stop moving yeah and that's what he's telling himself over and over again but yeah. he's he's killing her yeah and that's what her stopping move like that's how she's going to stop Ooh, mm. that's good I definitely think like if anyone loves like a joker film or you know things like that like it's not hard to watch a movie like this and like understand and empathize with the main character but Mm -hmm. also like understand that they are in need of a lot of help and that Mm -hmm. they're a danger potentially to society um and it's a lot of things that carrie does or cassie does are like overall harmless but like a lot of twisted stuff like Mm -hmm. you wouldn't like look at someone like that and be like they have a bright future you know like you'd be like "Mm, this probably seems like it's gonna eventually escalate to something worse yeah but then like it culminates in this man who appears to have grown up he doesn't want to participate in the crazy bachelorette stuff he really seems to care about his fiance he's turned into a good guy yeah and or it seemingly and then it's almost like that capacity that he had to overpower someone in rape 
is not gone and Mm. it comes out when he feels like his future is threatened yeah well and that's actually something okay two things in there (laughs) one thing is that i think that the only realistic conclusion here uh was for cassie to die to me because she's literally putting herself in harm's way constantly she is putting herself in situations where uh every weekend she is going out pretending she's drunk going home with random strangers mm. who are Creeps. drunk Creeps. who are literally drunk and she may be sober but that still doesn't negate the fact that she's with men who are stronger than her She's with men who could get angry and violent. They may have weapons in their home. She is putting herself in a very dangerous situation every single week, mm. multiple times a week, it seems. And so, like, the fact that she has gone as far as she has is almost kind of miraculous mm-hmm. in a way because these men could choose to rape her anyways. They could choose to kill her, to harm her. Like, there's... There's so much that could go wrong, and it seems like she's sort of come out of it relatively unscathed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was actually, I heard, um, a scene that they deleted uh, where it shows her having a bruise on her wrist after one of those nights and sort of showed a little bit of that um, risk that she's taking, that that she, she could be getting hurt. Um, and it, just having a bruise on her wrist really isn't too much to walk away with, but it's still... Um, kind of amazing that she doesn't and she's not like a she's not like a martial artist or a spy Mm. or some sort of trained person in 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 self-defense or anything like that uh she is literally just a girl Mm -hmm. who has chosen to do these things who's having somewhat of of a mental break and uh it i think that her dying in the end at the hands of al monroe uh is kind of the only way it could have gone uh, outside of if she had some, unless she had chosen to get help, basically. Mm. Um, Because even though she was with Ryan and they were having this like rom-com moment and they were in love and all these things, it still didn't really change the actual like mental health things that she had going on. Mm -hmm. Because the second that things were brought back up, um, which Madison uh, brought up later on when she gave Cassie um, a video of the incident where Nina was raped mm-hmm. and she saw that Ryan was a bystander in that, it, instantly her relationship with him is broken and instantly she is back at uh, the this revenge plot that she's been going towards the entire movie. Mm-hmm. And so it it's really the only way that she could have gone outside of getting actual help because the Ryan relationship was really more of a band-aid than an actual uh, healing or an actual, um, you know, like solution for her. Mm. Uh, But one other thing that uh, this makes me think about uh, is you saying that Al Monroe had uh, been reformed, you know, like he is like a good guy now you know he's seemingly yeah seemingly a good guy he's gonna get married to this beautiful swimsuit model which seems like a little bit creepy to me when they talk about her being like a swimsuit model and i'm like okay Uh, yeah very shallow (laughs) but you know whatever she wants to do to make the bread um and then uh 
he uh, doesn't want to have a stripper at his bachelor party and then he doesn't want to have sex with her when she takes him upstairs and things like that. It's like, oh, he's like kind of a good guy. And then um, one interaction that we haven't talked about yet is her going to uh, Dean Walker, who's the dean of the medical school that they went to. Mm -hmm. And Dean Walker talks as well about how um, Al was such a great guy and how Al spoke at their school recently and how when Cassie starts to bring up the incident with Nina that Nina had reported to Dean Walker, Dean Walker says, well, we wouldn't want to ruin this boy's future over this. And she didn't. Mm -hmm. His future is bright. And that's the interesting thing about this film is that it sort of explores this theme of the nice guy, Mm -hmm. um, which we hear, uh, for anyone that's not familiar, the nice guy is, you know, the the guy that gets broken up with or gets friend zoned and it's always the nice guy who bad Mm -hmm. things happen to, right? So it's kind of like a self-pitying form of mind. And... um, you sort of see this theme throughout the movie of these guys who have the appearance like they're not necessarily like douchebags on the onset. They're kind mm-hmm. of nerds. Some of them are sort of like, you know, they're not like the most handsome or like yeah. powerful men in society. You know, they're just mm-hmm. like nice guys who are like, ooh, this girl seems like she needs a ride home. Mm-hmm. And if something happens or blossoms from that, like, then great. Mm-hmm. Um, and their inability it seems to reconcile with their problems when she confronts them is always sort of like no 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 no, I'm a nice guy so did you guys feel like these descriptions depictions were accurate messagey did you enjoy that kind of dynamic Yeah, I mean, I think there were aspects of that that I enjoyed, especially like, oh, I'm just going to help her. I'm going to, like, get her a ride home. But then you don't take her home. You take her to her your apartment, um, which is not a place that she asked to go. Um, But also part of me is like, oh, man, there are actual, like, good guys out there. So I don't want that to be the only message. But, I mean, there... Like, this is a narrative that I feel like happens time and time again. And I'm like, man, I feel like that needs to be more of a conversation. Like, how many nice guys actually aren't that nice? And um, it's very quick to trust someone that is a nice guy, quote unquote. And it's like, oh, maybe, like, that nice guy doesn't deserve your trust yet. Mm-hmm. You know, that that kind of narrative is is interesting overall. And I especially like this concept of... You know, you might be, like, a nice guy look like on the outside, but what do you do when no one's watching? Totally. And it's not, like, in reference to upstanding men, you know. It's in reference to the nice guy, in quotations. Like, Like, the guy who always has a justification for his actions, and it was never, you know, intentional, and he's not responsible for anything. And, like, he's just a poor guy who's just really nice and... Yeah. It's so hard for him. Just like a poor nice guy. It's hard to be a really nice white white nice guy from a rich family that's been to med school, makes lots of money and is going to marry a supermodel. It's so hard, especially it's when It's really hard. Especially when you rape someone and that could potentially ruin, ruin your whole future. Everything. That's so hard. I was drunk. I didn't know what I was doing. Well, that's the thing is um 
<laughs> these are arguments that are legitimately used Definitely. in mm-hmm. cases of rape 100%. and of sexual in assault. in favor of the man, and yeah. then those same arguments are used to vilify the woman. The woman. Yes. yes. And she was drunk. She put herself in that situation. Yes. So, I mean, you hear the second guy that Cassie goes home with in the movie, uh, when she reveals that she's sober, he says... Um, as an excuse, he's like, oh, well, I'm just, like, really high right now because he's the one that's yeah. doing cocaine. And it's like, oh, but you thought that I was really drunk and you were getting me high. So, like, you're not culpable for that, but I'm mm-hmm. somehow was able to consent. Yeah. And you see her literally, it's all it's comedic to watch her literally not reciprocate anything to these men Mm -hmm. she's sitting in the car with the first guy who she goes home with at the beginning of the movie and it's actually interesting because he's standing in the bar with two of his friends and those friends are both like checking her out and making comments about her and he's kind of like seems uninterested no no, no. just let her be yeah he seems sort of like uninterested in her and then he's like okay guys like i'm just gonna go make sure she's okay then he winds up being the one that tries to take her home and and rape her and uh when they're in the car on the way, he says, oh, well, my apartment's, like, really close. Do you want to just, like, have a nightcap? And it's like, tell me in what world you think that a girl who is so drunk she couldn't find her cell phone, so drunk she couldn't figure out a way to get home, wants another drink with you in your apartment. She's and also about to throw up yes, out yeah. the side of your she vehicle. She literally, like, is, like, totally unresponsive to this she's i'm pretty sure she says she doesn't want to go to his apartment he's pretty insistent Mm -hmm. and then she's just kind of like because she's because she's quote-unquote drunk yeah and then when they get into his apartment he starts kissing her and she is absolutely not reciprocating in any way she's so awkward it's It's so so funny funny. yes and she is just like mouth closed just like "Mm." straight faced and he is just like macking on her like, and into it. Uh, yeah and it's just like and it's very similar with the other guy who was doing the cocaine and um i think that it's sort of it, it's showing the way that these men are viewing women mm-hmm. as uh, a means to an end he doesn't care if she reciprocates. He doesn't care if she's into it. He doesn't care if she genuinely consents. Yeah. Because he's like an all-around good guy. And he he's just, you know, trying to, you know, fulfill his need as a man. Yeah, he's just, and, you know, they have a connection and he's hoping to get lucky. That's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's very interesting. And I think that, like I mentioned before, that this movie is really good at showing sort of how insidious the this whole idea of... of consent and um, rape culture has been in our society and how uh, these men are able to just reason things away and how they're also able to uh, think of themselves as nice guys uh, because they aren't maybe as bad as something else that they've Mm -hmm. seen or Mm -hmm. because they, uh, you know... You know, they, they kept her from somebody who would have, you know, really done something bad yeah, to her. Yeah, been really mean. And I think that part of why these guys are so, like, why they choose to use this, like, nice guy trope is because um, it's showing that this is not just something that, like, these evil people are doing. Mm-hmm. 
And like these guys are are your like quote unquote average Joes and they're normal. Mm. And because of that, it's 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 revealing to us as an audience that this is not something that just happens with like, you know, cr- quote unquote crazy people. Like this is a a day to day. This is an average, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think it also speaks to a little bit of like the helpless damsel mm-hmm. that needs rescuing. Um, as well as like the knight in shining armor. It's like, I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna rescue you. Um and, and get my reward. And get my reward. Yeah. And men yeah. um I feel like men in general really fall for that. Like they're like, I need to feel important. So I'm gonna do something nice for this woman. Um and it's like, man, we've really told we've really told men that women can be a prize to be one mm-hmm. and that they need rescuing and so it's easy for her to entrap men in a way um not that she's like hmm i don't know if that word's accurate but to describe what happened but in a way they kind of are just like suckers for this this trick that mm-hmm. she pulls on them because they're like oh well i'm going to rescue her and she's like gotcha like, she doesn't need rescuing. Well, and this is a little bit reading between the lines, too, but it's based a little bit on my own personal experience as well, is that the men who take her home are not men who are wildly successful and attractive and able to get any woman they want, right? These are men who, like, haven't been laid in a while. They're not necessarily the most handsome, you know, guy. They probably find women that are as attractive as Cassie's character intimidating and someone Mm -hmm. and someone way out of their league and so it's almost like they see someone vulnerable and they like go for it Mm because they're like this might be my chance to get this like beautiful you know perfect 10 or whatever but in a sense she's preying on their vulnerabilities and insecurities and thinking that they can't do better than that Mm -hmm. in a way and so, like, their weakness is, like, very clear. And, again, that's reading between the lines. But in a lot of ways, like, these nice guys are are guys who, you know, they're not the homecoming kings of the world. But because they, you know, aren't bullies, mm-hmm. they think that they're, they've fallen into this category of, like, a good person. Yeah. But they are blind to their own decision-making. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're somehow exempt from the not okayness of their actions. Yeah, and I think, unfortunately, Ryan's character really, like, seals the deal on the nice guy trope. Oh, yeah. Where throughout the whole film, he's so respectful and kind and unassuming and, like, um, not overpowering in any way. He's, like, very gentle. And when she reveals to him that she has this video, and she's obviously very upset May not have been as upset with him if it hadn't been something so personal to her. To her, but because this has like been her life's work, essentially getting back at people who are culpable yeah. in this situation, like she does not have the capacity to be with him anymore. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't think that they had a chance after that happened. Um, whether or not they should have, I don't know. Morality is not black and white, but um, his response is is the part that. I think makes him a villain. Not necessarily the fact that he was at a party in his college years. Like, it's his 
denial and trying to like sort of make it work and then like he sort of lashes out at her at the end Mm -hmm. and um when she and she like says either you give me the address to al's bachelor party or i'm gonna like release this video and so he gives her the um he gives her the address and then when the police come to his office several Mm -hmm. days later and this guy's a pediatrician right so like Pediatric surgeon. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Pediatric, like, he's an angel mm-hmm. as far as society is concerned. And this officer sort of softball asks him some questions. And Ryan, knowing that someone he loved, had just recently said he loved, um, is missing, he denies any, like, knowledge of where she might be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And out of his own self-preservation says that he thinks she would probably self-harm. And so he assists in a possible suicide narrative that he doesn't actually have evidence for. And... I think that, I mean, she is obviously mentally unstable. Sure. So I don't think that the idea that she could have self-harmed is totally out of the picture, but especially it, from Ryan's perspective. But it's not true to N- But the he love does story have the information he, yeah. mm-hmm. of knowing where she was going that weekend. Yeah. Right. And so that is it's wrong, but I do see how Ryan was able to s- somewhat justify that in knowing like, well, like she was kind of, you know, I didn't really know. Because if you think from Ryan's perspective, uh, during the beginning of their relationship, he catches her while she's out. Mm-hmm. And she's hanging all over this other man. And he's like, what the heck? You won't even kiss me. And yet here you are, like, appearing to be blasted drunk, hanging on some random guy after we've been, like, going on dates. And it's like, obviously you're not, I don't know what's going on with you. And then, like, once he takes her back after that instance, like, he, it, it seems like everything is, like, roses and sunshine and daisies. But then... She, he sees her sort of like another side of her again totally. when she confronts him about the video. Right. And so I could see how Ryan, especially from the fact that he is um, afraid of his reputation mm. being tarnished, how he would be able to self-reason, well, she was just kind of, she was just crazy. Mm. Yeah, and that may be the case. I didn't. When I watched his performance, I took it as a lie. Well, like I think it was both. Lie. I, think I mean, it's maybe. Both. But, like, the thing is, if you really cared about someone and you heard that they're missing and you know where they went and you know that these are aggressive, potentially harming men, like, wouldn't, despite your, your anger, like, wouldn't your response be to, like, oh, no, I got to go find her, you know? Mm. she's She really lost it this time or whatever. But instead, he chooses his own reputation over her which i'm not saying again morality is very gray but he he justifies to himself that he's the nice guy and she's crazy and Mm -hmm. she is crazy but um that to me was just like a knife to the heart Mm. and like this idea that you could trust someone and build up all this relationship with someone and they could seem to deny your expectations of you know toxic masculinity etc and then turn around and be like that Mm. yeah and i think that one thing that is interesting when cassie does confront ryan uh is that this is i think we see that cassie is not totally unreasonable um because 
as she sort of goes through her like revenge plot hitting all these different people with Dean Walker, um, with Madison. the lawyer, with Madison, um, you see she only uh, like lashes out at these people when they refuse to actually acknowledge and like show remorse for the situation and the only person who does is the lawyer who we haven't even really talked about but he's a pretty small character but he's the lawyer that um convinced her friend nina to drop her case of sexual assault against al monroe and he did that that was basically his career as a lawyer was to do that for for young men who had been accused of sexual assault and he felt tons of remorse about this and she chooses to not do anything to him Mm -hmm. Um, but every other person including ryan you see go into denial go into victim blaming go into Mm self-preservation um and that i think was where you sort of reveal like okay cassie like has a lot of mental things going on but she she does have a standard yeah well and it's not even that she doesn't do anything to him she forgives him Mm -hmm. yeah so she's capable of forgiveness of forgiveness and i i mean perhaps if it had gone differently maybe bo burnham's character could have talked to her and they you know would have found a way to at least be friends or you know to like i don't know if they could have ever been in a relationship i doubt it but i'm not saying it couldn't happen but yeah like she she's not like oh, you apologized, I'm going to now still hurt you. Like, mm, she's yeah. very much, like, looking for that remorse, looking yeah. for people who, like, will repent, I guess. Totally. Yeah. Which, again, she's not God, so that's not, like, fair either way, but, you know. But I think you also see her intelligence in that because she's constantly has plans and counter plans, and I think she knew me and James had a very long conversation about this, but I think walking into that bachelor party, she knew that she may or may not come out alive. Totally. I think she had plans ahead of time. I mean, we see that at the very end. But James actually was frustrated because he was like, I felt like she died by suicide. Like, she walked in knowing she was going to die. And she did it anyways. And he found himself very frustrated with her at that. And he was like... She put herself in so much danger. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I mean, yeah, I guess I see that perspective as well. But you also hear this insinuation that this is an underground movement of women. When when Bo Burnham's character finds her walking out of a club with a man and she they get into this verbal thing and she tells this man, oh, I didn't get you, but there are other women doing this, and if I didn't get you, one of them will. Oh, I took that to be, like, a lie. I took really? that to be an empty I think threat. she was trying really? to, like, scare him from yeah. ever doing I it I took again. her 100% seriously. Mm, that's interesting. I mean, she could have been. That's very um, possible, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I took it as a lie because we don't ever see her really interact with, like, other women mm. who are doing the same thing as her or, like, hinting at some sort of... I don't know, underground network of women who are just, like, mm. scaring the Jesus out of, yeah. out of yeah. these men. But, I mean, it's possible for sure. Yeah. And I think I think I, I thought about that same sort of idea that, that James had of her um, sort of knowing that yeah. she's going to die that night. And obviously she has the counter plans and um, the way that she winds up setting up Al Monroe to be arrested uh, at his wedding at the Automated end of the movie. And things, yeah, yeah, she has all these plans where she mails evidence to the lawyer and evidence to um, Laverne Cox's character and her boss. And uh, so she obviously has the plans, but I think I wouldn't call it suicide. I think I would just 
I would call it willful self-endangerment. You mm. know, like she is knowing full and well that this is an option and an outcome. And I think to an extent she saw it as the only way to actually get what she wanted mm. was for her to be willing to sacrifice her own life, to say, I'm willing to die for the sake of my friend being brought to justice. That mm-hmm. is how far I'm willing to go because nobody else seems mm-hmm. to care. Mm-hmm. Nobody gives a crap about Nina. And so I have to give everything, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And there is actually a point in the film where she visits Nina's mom, who's played by Molly Shannon. And Nina's mom is like, what are you doing here? You have to let this go. Move on with your, her- your life. Mm-hmm. And she sort of like deletes her Facebook account so that she's not preying on this owl guy anymore and she and Bo Burnham like start developing their romance and Mm -hmm. actually there's a moment in the film where I'm like like is the director gonna let her win you know is he gonna let her or she gonna let Cassie's character move on with her life and like that's kind of the sweet justice of it Mm -hmm. although with this looming bachelor party you know like there's no way that she's that's but it's an Oscar film, so like people make twists like that sometimes. So part of me was like, ooh, like what if she truly did like let herself go and be free? Mm-hmm. But then Bo Burnham turns out to be a dick, and that doesn't work out. So that's kind of a bummer. But all of this like kind of centers around these themes of like the nice guy and sexual assault and victim blaming. What would you guys argue the film's primary thesis is? And why? The primary thesis, because it has, you see all those themes you just mentioned. I think, though, for me overall, the overarching theme is men think they can get away with things. And it's not okay. And this, like, unpacking of the nice guy, of um, victim blaming, I feel like it all kind of falls under this umbrella and I feel like you see that because of how Cassie gives people the opportunity to say they were wrong. She gives people opportunities to make things right. And when they don't, she punishes them for it. And that's how I feel it all mm. kind of sums up yeah. personally. One thing that I keep thinking about is uh, the other day, somebody said to me, the golden age of feminism is over. And... Now, there's not really that much for feminists to do because most things have been solved. What? And I was, I was pretty thrown off by this comment, and I, uh, I think it's a really dangerous one. I get to an extent where it's coming from because, sure, we've made huge leaps and bounds in the feminist movement over the past hundred years, right? Women can vote. Women can get educations. Like, women have way higher levels of equality than they had before, Right. Um, But I think that we see this narrative in feminism, in racism, where we say, oh, well, things are so much better now. So, you know, let's chill. And I think that uh, there that's where we get to the points where we're at now, where there's still a wage gap. There's still women being sexually assaulted, still women being treated like property, where there's still racial inequities, where Mm -hmm. there's still um, 
discrepancies that are deep-seated in our government, that are deep-seated in our way of life as Americans, as Westerners. I think that this film is a really just like fascinating and original way to bring this story back to the forefront and remind people that this isn't over. Um, I think that you see like sure Nina and Cassie have opportunity they they're in medical school they are you know doing well they are successful women from the beginning of the film and uh that sort of all falls apart because of sexism because of patriarchy because of these um institutions that are so deep-seated and I think that this film is sort of that that reminder uh, mm-hmm. to me and it's that uh reminder that that things may not look as as overtly sexist or as overtly harmful to women but they're subtle and they are prevalent mm-hmm. so to me that's sort of like the thesis of this film is it, we we see the the complexity of every single character is complex pretty much like every character has um a lot of depth and a lot of um sides to their story and uh, I think that that uh, shows the nuance um, and the the deep-seated nature of of sexual assault and rape culture uh, and of so many other institutions that uh, we try to get rid of um, or try to sort of look away from and push under the rug because they're hard to look at Uh, just like how they choose to have the two minutes and 30 seconds of the suffocation scene at the end of the movie. Like that is a very um, intentional choice to make you look at it Mm. and not look away. Uh, And it's not a violent film. It's, there is very little actual violence that Mm -hmm. you see. And that moment is like so jarring and so visceral. I think that it's it's the, uh, the director forcing people to not be able to look away, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I think um, I think for me the thesis is in the title, which I'm going to ask you about in just a second. But in the title, where it's the promising young woman, and I, I believe that this title was in reference to the Brock Turner case, um, where he was seen raping a woman behind a dumpster actively who was incapacitated and had witnesses pull him off of her. So this is like a cut and dry rape case. And he barely served more than three months uh, because the judge felt that he was a promising young man and wouldn't want to destroy his future because of one night of drinking. And I think what the film to me is saying is that like the future of men has been prioritized in like significantly prioritized over the the prospective future of women and so this this idea of like cassie as the promising young woman for example is that she she is a promising young woman she's very smart she's very much like got a huge future ahead of her as a med student one of the smartest in her class and when it comes down to it, her friend gets raped, which is so traumatizing to her friend and her that they lose both of their futures. And there, there's no concern for her future mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a sense. So I think to me what the film is saying is like, hey, women have a promising future too. 
And we can't, like, prioritize a man's future over a woman's. Like, Mm -hmm. rape is not something that we can tolerate anymore if we want women to have a future. Yeah. And so that, that to me was kind of the, the end note is like, women are valuable mm-hmm. too, which, you know, so revolutionary, but we're very consumed with the idea that, you know, mm-hmm. a man could, you know, not be able to graduate med school yeah. because he raped someone. Oh, it's not fair. Yeah. You know, he well, was drunk. It's like, well, women being, being reprogrammed well in that narrative as well. Cause you see the Dean, a, a woman yeah like very patriarchal values yeah in that conversation and so really like not only reprogramming society like yeah. you're saying like this can't be tolerated anymore but even women championing women to the point that we will be each other's advocates yeah um which i feel like goes beyond feminism mm-hmm. yeah i mean and to an extent that's sort of a a self-preservation, I think, on the part of Dean Walker and on Madison's part, where they both side with the men because that's what's going to give them the most, that's the most acceptable answer and response mm-hmm. according to the way society has, has gone thus far. And and it, it, it's kind of wild to me that when uh, Dean Walker talks about Al being such a great uh, guy and like he was such a great student, when we learn in the film that Nina was top of her class. Mm -hmm. And so objectively, Mm -hmm. Nina has the most promising future of all. Right. Mm -hmm. And so why would you say, oh, we're not going to recognize you're being sexually assaulted for the sake of this man's promising future when she, in fact, objectively according to the numbers, yeah. <laughs> has the most promising future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. And she has already had that future tarnished, tarnished just by the act of being raped. Mm-hmm. And and all she's acting, asking for is for some justice. Right. But that justice will never change the yeah. fact that she was raped. Mm-hmm. Well, and in her search for justice, she gets even pummeled. She gets pummeled even more. Yeah. Essentially, like victim blaming, being, you know, told gaslighting being told Mm -hmm. that oh you were drunk like Mm -hmm. you know you don't really remember how how could you say that like they're not only like tarnishing like she's not only tarnished by being violated she's tarnished by lawyers like teams of rich lawyers coming after her entire person yeah Mm -hmm. and like dragging friends and dragging Mm -hmm. her and her friends through the mud yep and because she was drunk yeah and I mean, and because she's a woman, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, yeah, it wouldn't have mattered. Honestly, I don't. I think it it wouldn't even matter if she was drunk or not. She's a woman, and so so often that means it doesn't matter if you got raped because there's an excuse. Yeah, and that sort of you see consistently in the movie there's always an excuse mm-hmm. well and it seems like there's an expectation of like okay this happened to you but it was kind of your fault so just like get over it and move on with your life so that you can have a future and he can have a future but it's yeah. like no that's not how that works yeah it's like no, no my future will forever be affected because of the act this person yeah that this person chose to yeah. make yeah yeah and i was curious did either of you have any more insights about the title promising young woman to expand upon that I think for me, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think the promising young woman is both Cassie and Nina. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's also a metaphor for 
you know, women as a whole, just like you mm-hmm. talked about, like they have so much potential. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that onlookers, uh, if this were a true story, would look at this story and say, oh, that's really tragic. What a pity that they did that to themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, and Dr. Christine Blasey Ford is a perfect example of that because she came forward to because she felt morally what's the word morally conflicted Mm. um she felt morally conflicted about someone stepping into such a prominent position of power in our government and was like this man has harmed me and the narrative was well first of all she got tons of media backlash for that she you know her reputation was drug through the mud like people questioning her gaslighting etc and um the primary message is like well why would she do that to herself Mm -hmm. like obviously she wants attention or obviously like somehow this is like her decision to like bring harm upon herself as opposed to like trying to step forward and be honest about something that happened with a prominent lawmaker not lawmaker but um law upholder yeah yeah like that's a big deal it really is. And I, I think what you said was very key. Her name was drugged through the yeah. mud. It was hers. Brett Kavanaugh's name was, oh, he was such a good guy. And he's such a good father and a good husband and a good Christian. And Here we go again with blah, the blah, good blah, guy. Yeah, like he's a good obviously guy. Obviously, this horrible person can only be horrible for trying to, you know, tarnish his reputation. And honestly, he's, he's, he's going to be just fine. Mm-hmm. Obviously. He made a very poor decision as a as a high schooler, teenager, whatever. And like it's not like you can't be like, oh, that's not fair that they that came back. Like no one gets to pick their day of reckoning. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that that's that's one of the things that's so fascinating about this film is that uh, they've chosen to show what would happen if someone chose to not move on. You know, yeah. like what would happen if someone said, no, I won't let this go. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to move past this. Yeah. This is not OK. And I'm going to I'm going to stick to that. Mm. And it's not necessarily the most mentally healthy thing to do or whatever. But I think it shows a really strong sense of loyalty from Cassie. And it shows a strong sense of right and wrong mm-hmm. from her. And I think that uh, it's I mean, almost in some ways, like a warning to men like. Don't do this because, like... You never know how crazy some girl's best friend is going to be. Exactly. <laughs> and, like, it's it's obviously a bit, you know, like we said, it's like a dark comedy. And yeah. it's a bit um, dramatized yeah. at some points. Although a lot of it is feels very real. Yeah. Uh, but in a way, it's almost like the the theoretical of what could happen to a man. Maybe it'll scare some men to keep their penises in their pants you know yeah, or you know like ask a woman if she wants sex and if she consents then move forward and if but also if a woman is like so like um inebriated sure in which case that's there's not consent no way she either can way consent. it's not consent either way it's just not a thing yeah so that's for you all to know <laughs> any men out there listening yeah well, and I'd be curious to see, like, hear more men's reactions to the film and, like, what some of their thoughts were. If, like, if they've seen these kinds of mindsets in their own life, if they've, if they found it hard to watch, if they found it triggering, like, really curious to know. Like, yeah, it seems like that would be hard to swallow in a lot of ways in the same way that, like, a slave movie is really hard to swallow for someone who's white. A nice, you know, the good old white person. Mm-hmm. 
when we are very culpable in a lot of sins. So yeah, um, you guys, promising young woman uh, has received five nominations. I just want to amazing rep or rep those, plug on those. Um, talk about them. talk about them. We've got best picture, which is the most prestigious award you can win in mm-hmm. the Oscars. We've got best actress for Carrie Mulligan. Uh, we've got best director Emerald Fennell. Best Original Screenplay from Emerald Fennel and Best Film Editing. Wow. Um, that was Frederick Thorval. I don't know what else he does, but he's a dude. Um, and also, if any of you are interested in the Oscars or whatever, I just want to plug a couple other films. Judas and the Black Messiah is directed by Shaka King, a black man. If he won, that would be incredible. Um, Minari is a Korean film directed by Lee Isaac Chung, who is mm-hmm. a Korean director. And um, let's see. There's one more female in here. Where is she? Oh, yeah. Nomadland. I've heard this film is amazing. I have not watched it yet. Chloe Zhao is an Asian-American female. Um, Chinese-American, actually. And she directed this incredible film about transients Mm -hmm. in our society. So with Frances McDormand, who is also incredible. So (laughs) there's a lot of... And there's also still some white males up there on the docket. But there's a lot of diverse directors coming into the Oscars this year. I'm really excited to see how it turns out. Mm-hmm. With that being said, how do you guys think Promising Young Woman will fare? And if you could rate her oh. out of 10, what would you do? Okay, I have, Rate the movie out of 10? Yes. I have not seen all the other movies. That's but, what makes it hard. Yeah. yeah, so just kind of going blindly, I could... Oh, man, but I've seen the trailer for Nomadland, and that looks really good um, as well. I hope it re- it wins at least a few of what it's nominated for. Um, I mean, Carrie Mulligan killed it as actress, like, as the lead. She was so, so good. And I do think it was a very good original screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as Best Picture and all the... Like I said, I don't know what the other films, like, hold up as far as this one but for me in kelly's kelly ann's world i would say this is a solid like nine out of ten for me that's good yeah i thought it was really good it's a thinker it's gonna make you think it's probably not the movie you're gonna watch time and time again just for funsies but kind of makes me think actually back to cuties like a lot of the point is to start conversation Mm -hmm. And I think that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say, so of Oscar-nominated movies that I've watched thus far is Judas and the Black Messiah, Trial of the Chicago 7, Pieces of a Woman, Promising Young Woman, and... Um, uh, Marani's Black Bottom has a nomination, not for Best oh, Picture. But okay, Pieces so of a seen... Woman also doesn't have a nomination for Best Picture. No, so. it has a different... Yeah. yeah. But... Um, and I'm not sure if any of them are up against Promising Young Woman on the other categories or not. I don't remember. But... Uh, yeah, of, of all of those films that I've seen that are in the Oscars this year, Promising Young Woman I enjoyed the most mm-hmm. thus far. Yeah. Um, I really, really want to watch Minari, uh, and I have heard really good things about it. And so uh, that one, to me, is the one that has seemed the most prevalent in my mind as as the strongest candidate for winning Best Picture, even mm-hmm. though I haven't seen it. Uh, but maybe that's just because of the people that I talk to and who I'm around who talks about it. But um, I will say that it's a movie that I actually do want to watch again. And, really? like, I, yeah, I enjoyed it so much. And, like, I want to, 
uh, rewatch it. I actually thought about rewatching it before we recorded this episode, and I just didn't have time. And uh, yeah, I thought it was really good and really enjoyable. And while those other movies that I've seen were good, there were times where, like I said before, like this movie had me engaged like the whole time. Mm. And those other ones were really good, but not uh, as engaging as this one was. And I think that the content of this one um, was really exciting to me. One thing that I will say that I found slightly disappointing about the movie is that it's a very white movie um, in that it is just basically all white people the entire time, which, I mean... It's fine, but, like, you love to see some diversity and, like, and and the movie isn't about diversity, you know, but at the same time, like, I think that that could have maybe added some value to it. But um, I also think that uh, it, like you said, is very original and Mm -hmm. it's very um, sort of, like, exciting. And, like, when I think about a movie like Judas and the Black Messiah, which is telling a very important story and it's telling um, a true story... Uh, I think I'm starting to feel like a little bit tired of those uh, even though those stories are really important I'm like okay and same with Trial of the Chicago 7 it's like okay these are great movies but like we've seen like the the biopic like a million times now and like we I want something a little bit fresher maybe mm-hmm. and so to me Promising a Woman felt very fresh mm-hmm. uh, and like you said Carrie Mulligan was phenomenal in it she she carried a lot of the movie and I think made room for the side characters to also really flourish in a lot of ways mm-hmm. uh, and it was a lot of unexpected p- actors like m- much of the cast is comedians mm-hmm. um, and people who predominantly do comedy and it's in like this like psycho thriller dark comedy yeah. uh, and I think that that adds some levity to a very dark topic having these really funny people in it um, and I think that seeing Carrie Mulligan she really shined in it I would love to see her win best actress I think yeah. she's not who you'd expect yes. and also her character Cassie's not really who you'd expect like she's like the pretty smart girl who's gonna go to med school and she's actually also like doing all these psychotic things that are twisted and playing mind games with people so yeah well it's like you can feel you can feel that she worked for it you know what i mean not that other actors and actresses don't but there are some that it's like oh this is like in your range this is in your yeah this is your type of character and this is not her type of character for her and she nailed it yeah like she there was not one moment i didn't believe her Mm -hmm. i was like oh you are like living this and i think that is what makes it worthy of a win Hmm. what's your rating emma oh um you know i would probably give it an eight mm. out of ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am not one to give out high ratings in general. <laughs> so uh, to me, like, there's very, very few movies that would hit above eight for me. And uh, this one was, I mean, I want to watch it again. And I really liked it. And I keep thinking about it. Yeah. And I think it was done in a really amazing way. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought, like, close to, I was, I'm going to say seven and a half or eight. It's not the most amazing film that I've ever seen. Like, I remember a couple years ago, I watched Shape of Water and was just, like, entranced in this film. So, like, there are films like that that, like, capture you. And Mm. it's not that, I mean, Shape of Water was incredible. Like, whoever did that was, I think it was Guillermo. No, I don't know. Anyways, um, but, yeah, so it didn't, like, it didn't, like, hit the ball out of the park for me. But 
I would say similar to Emma. It's a it's a movie I'd watch again. It's like a fun Friday night girls movie. It's fun like late at night, like get your popcorn out and yell about feminism, which is what we do. So that's yeah, true. that's <laughs> it's fair. The exact kind it's of like film. a fun girls movie if you're like raging feminist. Yes. Like <laughs> yeah, and I think also like very educational and very like important to the topic it's like the movie highlighted and illuminated very important things without being necessarily about those things yeah it it wasn't super preachy i'd say right yes yeah and that is a breath of fresh air Mm -hmm. not that i don't appreciate a good preachy feminist film but i think the world is the world at large is kind of tired yeah of that so for something like this perfect yeah keep the conversation flowing yeah and that being said i don't necessarily think this film will take best picture although it was great Mm -hmm. um i think there's a chance it might snag best screenplay just Mm -hmm. because it's so clever Mm -hmm. um uh i'm not yeah i'm not expecting it to like to be a big winner at the at the oscars this year um Especially knowing, like, what the Oscars favor, usually. Like, this is not that type of film. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's actually, actually surprising to me that it's even nominated. I was about to you say, know, I'm like, a little surprised that it was nominated, although it is really good. It's yeah. a little out of the ordinary. I'm um, pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and it's a little bit, it leans more entertainment than, like, a tour film. You yeah. know, like. Yeah, uh, what the Oscars eat up. Yeah. yeah. But that's okay. It's great. Um, you guys can watch Mank. Everyone says it's amazing. I think it's boring. Like, you know, like, it's just sort of, like. The type of films that win at the Oscars aren't necessarily the funnest. I would say this yes. is probably going to be the funnest. Um, all that being said, thank you guys so much for sharing your thoughts about Promising Young Woman. It was really fun to watch it and like research all of the various things that went into the making of it and talk about like the, I don't know, the nuances and little things in there that were, that were placed. And um, yeah, all of you, the Oscars are April 25th, Sunday. Go watch them. Get your Oscars on. It's my favorite thing of the year. I was very bummed when it got delayed all the way till April, so mm. I'm stoked. Put on your best ball gown. Yeah, put on your best ball Get gown. Yeah. And um, we will see you next week. Bye. Uh, you can follow us. Oh, oh do you yeah. Want to yeah. No. yeah, you can follow us if you want to <laughs> at Woman Being Podcast on Instagram. Our website is womanbeingcommunity.com. Please leave a review, like, subscribe, share. All those things. I don't know if I missed them, but you know, like you get the drill. Save our posts. That's supposedly really helpful. Super helpful. Yeah. And post them to your story. Yeah. Tag your friends. Tag your mom. Tag your dog. Some great comments and stuff. So, anyways, you know the drill. We love you lots. And now I will end with have a great week. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. Bye.